Today's episode is part one of a two-part episode called Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes will detail how a career con man stole over $2 million in less than six months from Alabama investors. He fooled people into investing in his tomato business, but the deal was not real. We talked to the prosecutor, investigator, and the agricultural journalist that covered the case in great detail. Hello and welcome to Real Life Regulators, a podcast aimed at educating investors using real cases. This podcast is brought to you by the North American Securities Administrators Association, also known as NASA. I'm Nick Vondru, the Marketing Specialist for the Alabama Securities Commission, and I'll be serving as one of your hosts. And today, my co-host is Liz Mullen, an attorney with the State of Connecticut Securities Division. Joining us today are Mrs. Amanda Sen, Mr. Charles Trawick, and Mr. Chris Bennett. Amanda is the Chief Deputy Director of the Alabama Securities Commission. Charles is a special agent with the Alabama Securities Commission, and Chris Bennett is a journalist and editor for the Farm Journal Magazine and agweb.com. He writes about a mix of agricultural topics. We are here to talk about what happened, what went wrong, and what you can do in the future to best protect yourself from securities fraud. Amanda, Charles, and Chris, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be. Before we get into the case, why don't you all tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Amanda, we'll start with you. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Um, I have been with the Alabama Securities Commission since 2008 and I was hired to prosecute cases in 2010. Um, in 2014, uh, the luck of the draw. Um, was assigned to work the Jamie Lawhorn Cypress Farms case and uh, the case that we're talking about today. Great, thank you. And Charles, why don't you tell us about yourself and what you do? Yes, I'm currently a special agent with the Alabama Securities Commission. I've held that position for, I'm beginning my 14th year. Um, and Chris, can you share a little bit about yourself? Hi, Liz. I originally taught high school history out of college and wanted to write really bad. And I'm from Southeast Arkansas. So I went to work for Farm Press, which is in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And uh, today I work for a similar sounding name, Farm Journal and live in Northeast Mississippi. So I write on a uh, odd mix of topics, ag crime often coming up because, uh, you know, farming is a business and you've all always got ruffians out there. And it's a real privilege and blessing to do so. So the subject of this case is Jamie Lohorn. Can you briefly describe this case? Briefly? Yeah, briefly. <laughs> Unique. <laughs> yeah, in one word, um, Jamie Lohorn, this case involved um, a wide variety of characters, conduct, and uh, charisma. And so as a state securities regulator, the first thing, you know, that we look at is jurisdiction and we have to decide whether there's a security involved. And so this one was unique in that, um, you know, there, was, there weren't a lot of documents being transferred, but the investment contract involved organic tomatoes. So you'll learn about it, uh, hopefully during the course of this podcast, but it was a one of a kind type case for at least the Alabama Securities Commission. 
And can you tell us a little bit about Jamie's uh, Lawhorn's background? Yeah, you know, um, we first met Jamie Lawhorn when the case crossed my desk, but uh, Chris Bennett did a little deeper digging on the uh, life and history of Jamie Lawhorn. Um, you know, the few things that we knew about him was that he was a convicted felon, and he came to Alabama and ripped off 285 folks. Amanda, mm -hmm. uh, Lawhorn's tale is uh, a, a massive tangle. It's a rat's nest. It's a long chain of crop, a fraud of all sorts. And in fact, it, it's so shady that you can't quite untangle. It, it's a Gordian knot. It's never quite being cut. Um, we'll talk everything from crimes out in Colorado, Texas, moves all the way to Florida and all sorts of frauds in between from survival bunkers to miracle juice to tomatoes to worms. You name it, uh, he's had a hand in it. And also there were tons, and I mean tons of off the record sources that told me of, of crimes that they accused him of everything from uh, hemp fraud to uh, computer fraud. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where the truth lies with this fella, but if any of the audience has ever watched a Coen Brothers film, something like that, or read of Elmer Gantry, Walter White, I assure you, this fella actually fits into those categories with overlapping shades that kind of lick out and roll out on everything I described. Can you describe his appearance? Like how he looked? You bet, Nick. Um, according to the source you spoke with, right, he was a chameleon and able to give you what you wanted. His physical appearance now, when the when the tomato fraud took place, he was roughly 50 years old, very uh, pedestrian. You, you wouldn't notice him if you passed him in Walmart, uh, maybe a thin graying hair, maybe slightly balding, a mustache sometimes gray, a um, little bit jug-eared, just kind of normal looking fella, average height. Interestingly enough, spoke with people who said he had a Southern accent. I spoke with people who said that he had absolutely no Southern accent. So it made me wonder if he was changing accordingly. And uh, if, if he sat down beside you, according to what all the sources said, he could instantly charm you, morph himself into your conversation, regardless of what the, the, the topic was. So he, he would be knit what you wanted him to be. I do know from sources that said that when he came to their farms, that he was dressed in city clothes. So it wasn't like he was putting on a car hearts or overalls or work boots. Uh, pretty much he had a golf shirt on and slacks and uh, some sort of leather leather shoes so he was uh, your, your man on the street Nick. he sounds like quite the character uh do you know where jamie is is from originally liz uh he was supposed to hail from tennessee and alabama i was told by sources that he had family land there close to huntsville he also had land and, and family in uh out in tennessee and when they, when, when he went on the lamb and when he ran, uh, the bounty hunters involved had to go to all those places and literally, you know, hide in the trees and the bushes looking for him, hoping he would pop up, which he did not. How long was Jamie Lawhorn in the Huntsville area before he opened up 
the subject of this case, Cypress Creek Farms. <laughs> I tell you what, Nick, that's that's a million dollar question. I I, I don't know. Uh, the, the first lady that he appeared before was that we know he appeared before at least was Marguerite McClintock, and uh, she described it as him kind of arriving out of the dark. But he was from that area. And he had family. So my my assumption, and this is a projection by me, is that he was coming off another con. And whether or not he had been there in Huntsville for a month or two or a year or two, I, I, I am not sure. Jamie Lawhorn, what did he do in, in Huntsville? How did he start? Well, he began communicating with Publix supermarkets as early as May of 2012. And these communications centered around the fact that he was in the Tennessee area operating as Tennessee Toms. And he had, his family had been in the organic tomato business for many years. And he was reaching out to Publix to see what he could do in terms of servicing them or supplying them with organic tomatoes. Publix never committed to him. They did say that they, once he got in operation, they may visit him. But at, in the spring of 2013, he advised the man he was communicating with at Publix that he was moving from Tennessee and he was going to the northern part of Alabama and he was changing the name of the business to Cypress Creek Organic Farms. And that's when he showed up at Miss McClintock's farm. So, how did we originally hear about Jamie Lawhorn and Cypress Creek Farms? So, often our agency will receive referrals from other uh, agencies throughout the state and the United States. And um, Charles, I believe, received a referral from the Better Business Bureau because several folks up there had already had uh, interactions with Longhorn and Charles, I think you took the call from the BBB. You're right. We learned of uh, Jamie Lawhorn from the Better Business Bureau and the Better Business Bureau had challenged Lawhorn to substantiate his claims that uh, affiliate farmers could make twenty-five to forty thousand dollars per year as an affiliate farmer, and he never did that. And as a result of his failure to substantiate his claims, the Better Business Bureau made the referral to our agency. Those claims were outrageous. They were outrageously high. Uh, we often get, like I said, referrals from the locals about these type activities and this conduct. That's a great connection to have at, at the Better Business Bureau. Um, that's interesting to know. Um, also, so when did this happen, uh, the case? Well, it happened, as I said, he came uh, to the Huntsville area. He formed Cypress Creek Organic Farms in Madison County, Alabama in April of 2013. So that's when he started 
we did not get the referral until September the 3rd of 2013. Wow. So how did he get Cypress Creek Farms up and running? Initially, he when he got into town, he, he just made up flyers and he would distribute uh, and, and post flyers in the rural areas around the Huntsville area. He stirred up the entire community with his radio broadcast, um, his, his advertisements all over town. Um, a lot of folks were looking for extra jobs at the time. There were retired folks, part-time workers um, that were thrilled to see an opportunity to earn some extra money. And he was so audacious and so bold uh, to display his fraud, you know, all over the uh, northern part of Alabama. Um, and so, you know, it's a, just a, another testament to the term con artist or confidence artist, which is what he is. And how did he make this pitch so believable? Well, it wasn't, uh, as Chris pointed out in his article, it wasn't extravagant. It was just, you know, very simple, a very simple idea. His uh, flyers transitioned into radio advertising. And as people learned of this uh, investment opportunity, uh, they just began to contact him and it just grew exponentially. Yeah, there's a, a bit of affinity fraud is the term that we use in the um, regulatory world. When your friends are getting involved in something that looks like it would be a really good deal, um, you know, little work required because Lawhorn was going to take care of, of you know, teaching these folks how to grow the tomatoes, who would provide the greenhouses, you test the soil, you know, you do everything. And so all you had to do was tend to them, um, you know, a few times a week and let them grow. But there, there's always some truth, you know, and legitimacy in these type frauds. And so, you know, you, cause you gotta get, you gotta hook people, you know, bait them, bring them in. Um, and Chris, you may have uncovered a few things about Lawhorn's uh, foundational fraud in the Northern part of Alabama. He, he did what y'all described, which is cloak it in a grain of legitimacy. Uh, he, he left a ton of rabbit trails that you could check. There was nothing at the end of the trail, but the trails were there. Like the, like Charles mentioned, the connection with Publix, the connection with Auburn University and soil testing, connection with Mississippi State and tomato expertise. He tried to bring Rick Snyder, the godfather of tomatoes, who wrote the, the Bible of greenhouse tomatoes. He tried to get him onto Cypress Creek's uh, board to serve. And and Snyder fortunately smelled him out. So he touched these people who were in need, right? These are not people that wanted a golden goose. They wanted some legit side stream income and they were willing to spend, you know, 10,000, 20,000. And then, of course, like with any Ponzi scheme, the first people to get in do very well. So you treat those first few people with some money, right? Cross their palm with silver and things begin to then flow from there. You, you had a ton of people that, hey, this greenhouse that you built me is going very well. I, I want you to uh, possibly build me another, which is very common in these kind of schemes. Hey, in the Lawhorn deal, right up until the very end, when the walls were crashing in, when the media was on his rear end, you had a significant amount of growers 
that had absolute faith in Lawhorn. Don't you don't you dare tell me, right? Don't you dare tell me he's a fraud because if he's a fraud, that means I have been taken advantage and had to admit it. So that's the last thing people want to admit. So Lawhorn was a master, and I'll give him credit on this. He was a master at understanding human psychology. We see a lot of frauds um, throughout. And what I think is so unique about this particular case is most victims will give their money and nine times out of 10, they get nothing in return. In this particular case, they were actually receiving a greenhouse. So, I mean, it appears if you're getting a greenhouse, it would make me think that, okay, this is going to be a legitimate thing. He told me I was going to get a greenhouse and I'm getting it. So it kind of, he is a little odd that we typically don't see that. Now we did uh, a little investigation into the quality greenhouses right. that were provided. And I think Chris, you are the expert ag, um, but did you have an opportunity to look at one of the greenhouses that Lawhorn provided pursuant to the $9,999 that you had to pay him to invest in Cypress Creek or Cypress Farm, excuse me. The, the skeletons, Amanda, just the skeletons. And, uh, and and I should add also, there were a significant amount of growers toward the end that, that paid their money and never even got the, the greenhouses themselves, the actual framing put up. And, and for the audience out there, uh, just to clarify, we, we, I keep saying greenhouse. I really mean like a high wind tunnel. It's a metal frame covered by uh, heavy plastic is essentially what it is. And and, and, and Lawhorn said, hey, give me $10,000. I'll build this on your property. And then once it's built, I will buy your tomatoes in perpetuity. Organic tomatoes at a high rate. I'll provide you with the seedlings. I'll provide you with pickup. So in other words, just grow them and we will come get them. So the offer by itself is astounding. Yes, it was too good to be true. Someone should have known better, but everything that y'all already described was the case. The train was rolling and everybody else was getting on it. There must be something to this. Yeah, when people see their friends, the people they trust in the community, you know, signing up to do something, um, they trust them. And, it, and there's always an element of trust. I mean, that's when we get these fraud cases and it's unfortunate, you know, there are lots of good people, but once in a while you get a bad egg and Lawhorn is a bad egg. Um, I will add something though about the investigation because I don't think we talked about really what he was pitching and what was so essential to the uh, decision to invest the $9,999, I'll just say 10,000 rounded up. And that is that Lawhorn claimed very outward, outwardly and very broadly that he had contracts with major supermarkets uh, to buy all of the organic tomatoes that he could grow. Like Chris said, that was important. That was a material, you know, the securities fraud world, material representation of fact um, that wasn't true. After Charles contacted Publix, uh, I'll let you talk about this, but basically Publix, one of the supermarkets said, no, no, we never had a contract. Uh, the guy contacted us, he reached out to us and we see that a lot in frauds, but um, but no, no steps were ever taken toward building a contract or any type of negotiations. Charles, you talked to the um, regional director. We have him listed as a witness for trial. Yeah, I talked to the organic produce manager for Publix at their main 
warehouse or main store in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, he confirmed there never was a contract to buy organic tomatoes from Cypress Creek Organic Farms. And I think, Chris, uh, you know, I'm not a farmer, but there are a lot of farmers in North Alabama. This was something that they could easily do and add to, you know, their current harvest that would just literally take them a few extra minutes a week to maintain. Um, but is having a contract to purchase um, produce, you know, in perpetuity, is that something that farmers want, need, or interested in? I, I mean, it's, it's a magnet. That's a golden magnet. Uh, but frankly, Amanda, you know, when you, when you hear that, your radar goes up immediately. That That is the formula that's been used in all the other uh, crop scams and Ponzi scams <laughs> in history. That should be itself the, the, the big alarm that goes off. Again, unfortunately, it's often not. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we had 285 uh, investors and some, you know, many of them weren't uh, farmers. Charles and I met with several of them. Charles talked with more than we met with. And um, Charles, could you describe, you know, the type of investor? I mean, they run the gamut. It was just kind of a sad situation for some of them. Really sad. Yes, they run from one side of the extreme to the other. Housewives who wanted to uh, just try to help the family. Uh, there was a mother who had a child diagnosed with cancer. She was just looking for uh, some means to stay at home with her child and generate some income for the family. Other sophisticated individuals, and you would assume sophisticated investors invested in this. Uh, very poor people who had to borrow the money. Others who were able to just write a check immediately. And then there were family members who joined together to, to pool their resources uh, to make an investment in the greenhouse. Coming up so, with $10,000, which is not easy for a lot of people. So was there that big of a need for tomatoes in the area? Well, one of the things uh, some of the people talked to me about where was they were concerned that law home was overselling because they could not understand how he was going to market all of these tomatoes. And did he try and keep it quiet? No, he it, it this fraud depended upon uh, the word getting out there. He was all about sales. So, just even further legitimize this case, did he actually have a brick and mortar building or any employees at Cypress Creek? Yes, he did. He there there was a now all of it was shut down uh, by the time we got started with our investigation. But we executed a search warrant on our office. That is where I recovered the affiliate farmer agreements and contracts. And there was a facility, I, I would not call it a farm. It may have actually been located on a farm. I can't recall at this time, but I did locate a facility where people told me uh, tomatoes were delivered to and 
they were represented that they were processed at this facility and that he had people uh, there working. I do not know what they were doing. And he had drivers for the trucks that would that would go around and pick up tomatoes and drivers that would construct greenhouses or high tunnel houses. To keep the charade going. Yeah. Uh, Charles, you mentioned that you found affiliate farmer contracts. Um, could you describe what what those were? Well, it was just a uh, basically an agreement. I don't. It was termed an, an affiliate farmer agreement, and it was uh, seven or eight or nine pages long, and it laid out the terms of the agreement. What uh, people were investing in and what their duties and responsibilities were and what the duties and responsibilities of Cypress Creek Organic Farms was. So when most investors think of securities, we think of stocks, bonds, promissory notes. Can you explain what made this greenhouse business venture a security? In this case, you know, we do look for documents, but and documents do support, uh, you know, finding of a security. Um, we learned that folks were given Lawhorn money, um, that they were being told by Lawhorn that he would provide everything. And it was laid out pretty well in the affiliate farmer agreement, the document that supports the investment contract theory. So we determined it was investment contract. Um, but he would tell them, hey, look, I'm going to handle everything. I'll test the soil. Um, I've got the USDA certification, you know, I'll provide you all the expertise training, uh, and, you know, I'll impart all of my knowledge to you to grow these. All you got to do is get out there and water them, some and tend to them, and I'll provide you the greenhouse um, in an exchange. You know, you do very little. Um, I've got several of you that are involved in this enterprise, and hey, look, you're going to get a great profit from doing this. And so we met the elements of the how we test the Alabama Securities Commission consulted a, an expert witness that we use from time to time. She agreed and for trial, you know, we were prepared to prove that this was an investment contract. Um, and to prove that, you know, it was a testimony of the victims who said, hey, look, we gave you the money. We expected you to do all the work Longhorn. Um, we expected her profit and also the document, the affiliate farmer agreement um, would have, in my opinion, you know, been more than substantial evidence of a security. Lawhorn was indicted on 24 counts of securities fraud and other securities violations and theft. And he, a $600,000 bond was imposed on him bail in the amount of $600,000. Prosecution and defense agreed to lower it to $100,000 because it was the right thing to do um, within the confines of bail ranges. And um, on the condition that he, was placed under ankle monitoring supervision. A month later, he cut the ankle monitor and went to North Carolina uh, and started a worm farm. He took his business model that he's ripped from some other con artist into North Carolina. The story does continue, but I just want to give you guys a little teaser. And, um, and so what Chris is referring to is the worm farm in North Carolina. So, um, getting back to the greenhouses and the initial investments, we know that the investors were giving about $10,000, just round figure, but what went into actually making these quote, 
greenhouses operational. Like I'm like from doing some of the reading and talking with Charles, um, you know, you just couldn't merely just set one up. They needed water hookups. Some of them had to do landscaping, cutting trees down. Can you describe some of that? There were many investors who spent several thousand dollars in addition to their investment in the greenhouse to have trees cut under the pretense that uh, it would help the tomatoes grow better and faster. And Chris, is this something that if a, you know your average farmer, and I know a lot, a lot of these people weren't farmers by trade, um, would that be something that would require a lot of work to set up and get started based on the type of greenhouse that was provided? Absolutely, Amanda. I agree with what Charles said. You're talking about laying down a pad. You may be talking about clearing trees, certainly going to be talking about clearing brush or or something. So in addition to the 10,000, depending on your land, you're also going to have to pay quite a bit to get that land ready. And then when Lawhorn's crew would come out and set up these uh, greenhouses, they would get the bottle rolling with soil amendments, casting, uh, holes needed to be dug, and you, you would just assume, hey, it's going like it should, because they're going to treat you really well up front and give you the attention, right? And and tug on your forelock, tickle you, things like that. Well, that Jenga tower he built with all these growers went higher and higher. Ponzi pyramid went higher. And y'all know far better than me, those pyramids began to get rickety the higher they are. So as he's building all these greenhouses, and as he's signing more people on, and as he, according to his own employees, told me, and what y'all said also, literally throwing the tomatoes out the back door sometimes, they are sell, sell, sell. No matter what, sell greenhouses. So again, that tower is climbing, and down at the bottom, it's shaking. The media gets on his tail, and he's going to pull what your classic con man pulls, which is I lash out at everyone except myself. I'll find somewhere to lay the blame, and then I'll uh, I'll leave. I have a I have a question. I think Amanda, you might be able to to help with this. When someone is considering making an investment. Do you typically see such an active role required of investors? It sounds like they had to put a lot of work in on their own. Um, in some cases, I mean, for an investment contract, you know, in order to meet the the requirements, there, it's typically a passive investor, but passive in the sense that um, they're not handling the finances, you know, the day to day operations. So these investors weren't a part of the day to day operations, but um, you know, is there is there site prep? involved in every case no this is uh one of the few that you know we've had where investors have been required to do prep work and not all of them just some of them you know like i said earlier there were a lot of folks that weren't farmers by trade and so um part-time you know moms looking for part-time work and they had to you know provide upfront capital to, to to make the modifications in order to grow them but uh, i'm sure chris has seen in some of his frauds that he's reported on uh investors you know, laying or providing some sort of upfront labor before they can embark on whatever scheme is uh, being offered to them. So when all was said and done, about how many victims were involved and how much money was lost? 
based on my efforts to reconcile the affiliate farmer agreements with the bank records, taking into consideration uh, the refunds that were made, my I've calculated they were 245 victims, which invested just over 2.2 million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why do you think uh, Jamie Lawhorn was such a successful pitchman? That's a that's an incredible amount of money and incredible amount of victims. Well, yeah, for all the reasons that we've discussed um, earlier, Chris probably said it best. Though you know he wormed his way into the confidence of the community. He did provide, uh, you know, a. a air of legitimacy to his scheme. And so, um, and he got people excited. You know, I think he made t-shirts with his logo on it and gave them out to investors. He would have office meetings, uh, on-site office meetings, you know, where people could drop in and talk about how excited they were to grow these tomatoes. And, um, you know, this was a really neat opportunity for North Alabama. So many people were involved. Uh, I've never been on social media, but there was a Facebook chat group and people were exchanging thoughts and ideas, which later, um, turned into a, a Facebook like hostile, you know, screaming room for all the investors to get together and talk about Lawhorn how much they hated him. But um, you know, it was just a unique opportunity, and so people people like those opportunities. They want to get involved. Almost like old time religion, and he promising people explicitly on record, promising people, hey, this is going to be a hundred million dollar company. Right, he, that's what he's telling them, and they know Publix, they know Bruno's, and they, they simply are going on his word. So if he's telling them, "Hey, it's a hundred million dollar pot right there," grocery stores that you know, a product that's in your backyard, uh, agronomics that you are capable of, and right, buy them in perpetuity. We will come and pick them up. We will provide you uh, the seedlings. We will get you the USDA organic certification, which, you know, is a laborious process. So you add all that together, and this fella had an absolute uh, recipe to drag people wherever, you know, he wanted to drag them. And if that meant dragging them through the mud sometimes, he was capable of doing that. In other words, he'd look somebody right in the eye and tell them, hey, you know, who are you going to believe, me, your lying eyes, that kind of thing. He, he he was the man. He'd done it before, and I, I say it. I, I I think he's going to do it again. I agree, Chris. I mean, he's out there, and he's already demonstrated the capability to continue to perpetrate frauds, one fraud after another. I mean, there are numerous, and I know you've chronicled some of those. Um, I, I don't know. There is a part two here, a big part two. The story gets more interesting. Um, if we want to talk about that, but he's still out on the run. So, um, he had all of this money coming in from over 200 victims, just over $2 million. Do we have a general idea of where the money was going? Based on my analysis of the bank records, I could only document approximately 420,000 uh, out of the 2.2 million. The things that I documented were uh, 
payments to department stores, rent. Lawhorn had some dentistry work done. Uh, there were he also bought a Mercedes. Uh, restaurants, if I didn't mention that already, and uh, there were actual disbursements to them by check directly by check. And there were a lot of withdrawals of currency, which were unaccounted for. So all of that collectively, all of that was approximately 420,000. That's typical in uh, you know, fraud cases, money fraud, they pull out, the defendant will pull out uh, tons of money in cash. And that was the case here and then live off the rest lavishly while the victims, you know, some of them are impoverished. What do you, what do you think his end game was? <laughs> we all have our theories. Chris, go ahead. I think based on uh, his past, Liz, which was uh, allegedly uh, robocalls, auto dialing scams out in California, in Colorado. He had been in federal prison, I believe in Leavenworth for a couple of years based on conspiracy to defraud the United States on some kind of check scam. Uh, the guy who eventually called him told me that, uh, that the Lawhorn had confessed to him that he had used, I think, the Secretary of Treasury of the United States to forge a check to buy a yacht or a boat. It was something just beyond Buckwild, beyond Buckwild. So you look at those, you look at the bunker scam in Kentucky, Tennessee, you look at the uh, miracle juice in Tennessee, uh, auto dialing in Tennessee, uh, tomatoes in Florida, cucumbers, pickles in, excuse me, in Florida, tomatoes in Alabama, worms in Carolina. And when you add all that together, you, to me, right, I see a guy that's simply burning it down from spot to spot. So when he's in Bama, I think he was just going to burn the candle that it got to the end and then jump. You know, the worm scam that he used in Carolina was partly to produce not just worms, but also their castings. Well, the castings were used in Alabama at the at the greenhouses. So there's a definite nexus there. I don't know if he simply pulled the parachute and jumped to the next, but the amazing thing about him and that proves that he had to have been dealing with a network of scamsters was that in between the scams, the last ones that we know of, which is the tomatoes and the worms and the pickles, those three are separated by months. And he is forming actual businesses in these place and hopping from place to place, physical properties with a network of employees and uh, the associated growers. Chris, if you don't mind, I'm going to stop you right there. I think this is the perfect place for us to pause, and we will pick up with part two of this story in the very near future. How can someone check the background of a person making the investment offer? Go to NASA.org, click Contact Us, and then click Contact NASA Member to choose your jurisdiction's regulator. Being an informed investor means having a plan and understanding each of your investments. Whether you're new to investing or already investing, NASA and its members provide a variety of online investor education resources for investors of all ages. Go to nasa.org for more information on how to be wise and a safe investor.
NASA provides this information as a service to investors. It's neither a legal interpretation nor an indication of a policy position by NASA or any of its members. If you have questions concerning the meaning or application of a particular state or provincial law, rule, or regulation, please consult an attorney that specializes in securities law.